everybody. Welcome to the Cookie Crumbles. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, Camille, how are you doing today? I'm good now that you just gave me like a 45-minute therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today we're talking about, today's podcast, we're talking about social learning. So (laughs) that seemed appropriate. Exactly. So the organization for today's podcast is we are going to talk a little bit about the organization's organization is a word that I need to stop saying um, in the dog training field that we know about that we support. But once again, this is not a end all be all of do as we do, because there are way too many different personalities and perspectives and everyone brings something else to the table that you're going to find out more valuable than me and vice versa. So, yeah. yeah. You know, as always, we say it's important to keep your mind open. And even if you just take a little tidbit away and you run with it and it makes sense to you and that becomes part of what you do. Hey, more power to you. Um, uh, Kelly and I believe you never stop learning ever. You just, you just kind of dogs. And no. that's the pain in the butt part about right. <laughs> They're learning every single moment of every day. <laughs> yeah. Talking about yes, exactly. Um, and especially what we don't want them to learn. Ooh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how Pluto is really good at learning that if he puts something in his mouth and drops it, I give him a treat. And pretty much every uh-huh. time. So granted, he brought me glass the other day. Instead of taking glass and like chewing it somewhere else and swallowing it, he brought it to me so that I would give him kibble. That's so that was lovely. But whenever yes. we're eating something that he really wants off the table, he puts everything in his mouth and then eats it with his mouth wide open, like a. So that will tell Look him. What I'm doing, mom? Exactly. Tell me to drop it. Yeah. I need a treat. Yeah. I'm gonna be a good boy. Yeah. Come on, mom. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I usually tell my clients to put things away at that point so the dog can't do the cycle of going to pick something up so that you'll tell them to drop it so that you'll give them a treat. That the hard part with that is there's not enough things we could put away. I right, think- right. Especially <laughs> at Christmas, right? With all the holiday stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, granted, there's things that I didn't even know we even had in the house. He's like, hey, mom, look what I found. So sometimes it could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think the answer for me is giving him something appropriate to choose. So we typically give him a bully stick or a frozen Kong. So he stops mental me. enrichment. Right. Yes, right. Exactly. And I say it very grudgingly because mm-hmm. the answer typically is food. It keeps him occupied. And right. if he's not chewing something that's edible, then he's chewing something that I don't want to be chewing. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. So when we think of, about um social learning um i had a client today that um has the lovely loveliest lab from lucky labs um which is a terrific rescue rescue organization here in charlotte this lab tends to have she's a little lab mix but she has tons of energy and she's so happy to see everybody like over the top happy (laughs) So we actually talked about social facilitation. Like if, if she got another, she was going to foster a dog to help, to help the rescue and, um, and possibly help her own dog learn to relax a little bit, um, which I found really exciting. The, the problem with that is that most dogs that you 
rescue are not going to be that calm or not going to be that laid back. If they're that calm and laid back, they probably didn't get surrendered to a rescue. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it works, it works beautifully. Like it just works, you know, and we've seen that happen. Other dogs can watch dogs and, and they can just calm, you know, or, or they see, Oh, you know, I mean, I think my mama dog taught my puppy that she's not a Mm -hmm. puppy anymore, but I think honey taught Lexi that when she was little that honey just laid down the back seat and went to sleep when we were driving, you know, to and from work every day. So Lexi did the same thing. She's like, Oh, okay. This is what we do. So I'll lay down and go to sleep. And I feel like we all could understand what that feels like in the sense of we've all been in groups of people. We've all Mm -hmm. had some of our behaviors either manipulated or potentially poked in different directions because of those around us. I know that when I'm with you, Camille, I don't want to talk as much shit about people because it's not (laughs) how we communicate. And I learned from you how to be more professional. And, And so I think that when we're talking about this with the dogs, this isn't some magic pill that we're like, just watch other dogs go and they'll learn how to do it. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is a thing that has been proven in people as well. Just if we can use it to our benefit, why not? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think too, um, like, and I take from you because I'm so introverted and you're so extroverted. I take from you like how to handle situations and how to talk to people and you know, I pay attention like when we're with all the trainers and stuff and, and I love all the trainers, mm-hmm. but I tend to be more quiet and just reserved and watch what's going on. And, you know, you're in the thick of things and um, stop talking. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll learn how to stop talking in the future as we do this podcast, but that you're, that's, you're so funny. Um, but that's what makes you who you are, which is great. And the same um, well, you know, we learn from each other, social facilitation, of course. Um, I think we can always learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband is another complete extrovert and I try so hard to learn. I wish I could be funny like he is. And, you know, he, he's so brilliant that like funny just happens. <laughs> you know? Um, and I try to channel my inner Pete if I can, but I'm not always the best at it, but I do try. I do try. I mean, I feel like it is important to like consider, and I think we were talking about this in group therapy, but how we're all basically genetically predispositioned to accept help from others because no one can do everything on their own. So fitting into a community feels good because not everyone is a dentist. Not everyone is a technician. Like, And I think that they're... I, from my recollection, there is something in our biology that encourages us to want to feel like part of the pack. Um, well, and I would think that was part of our epigenics as as we've developed over you know thousands of years that being in a pack helps you grow and live and be. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say if it wasn't part of us in the beginning, it it certainly got to be that way over the last however many many hundreds, thousands of years. Um, I watched a friend this weekend who accepted help, yeah. which I thought, yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I would offer something. She'd say, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for your help. Mm. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it for you. You know, like, I don't know. As part of, I, th- I think it's a give and take in friendship. And I think that other friendship was kind of missing that 
Well, it's really it. interesting in what you're describing because you're describing like a kind of what made you feel comfortable, right? Which kind mm-hmm. of is one of the factors that goes into who you listen to and who you follow and what organizations you join, right? Yeah. You yeah. and I are both volunteers at the IABC Foundation. Mm-hmm. That organization makes us feel good. We found a community there. We feel accepted. We feel like the and I, I hate to use the term energy, but it feels like the kind of what we're bringing, what we want to bring with this podcast of invite inclusive, you know, it's so inclusive. Together. Yeah. Uh, if, if you, honestly, very few times do I hear about people being wrong mm-hmm. and it's, it, and if there is something we disagree with or that we'd rather not have as one of uh, something that's being offered it's not that it's wrong it's just that it's not what we do and what what we agree with right and i i think that that vibe is just so inviting and makes me want to do more for the organization it makes you um less fearful of adding ideas into it yourself like you know you think of something that's really great um i had an idea the other day and i thought it was fabulous and it was, <laughs> but, yeah. but I could understand, you know, like, um, my friend's point of, well, it is, it really is, but it's not really what we're going for in this particular moment. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. When you look at it that way, you're absolutely right. And so we changed it and that was fine with me, but I didn't feel bad for coming forward with an idea. I just felt like, you know, everybody's throwing their ideas in and here's mine. And, so it wasn't chosen. That's not a big deal. It, but I didn't feel slighted, I guess and, is the thing. And I do. I feel like that the other organizations out there also offer that inviting community as well. But I think that we found it first with IABC. Yeah. And so here we are. So we want to talk about a few of the other organizations. This podcast mm-hmm. in the beginning is more for beginning trainers and maybe just dog aficionados. Because if you've been in the field as long as we have, then you already know of these organizations that we're about to mention. So probably, well, yeah, and you probably already have your favorites, and exactly. You know. So you can skip for the next like well, <laughs> twenty minutes because we do want to talk about social learning and dogs and how we use it. But we also wanted to mention some of the organizations that are worth your time to look into if you're new in the dog field. Yeah, and- yeah, absolutely, awesome. And we did start with IABC. Mm-hmm. The foundation. Well, the foundation. their sister organizations, the IABC and the IABC Foundation, mm-hmm. their sister organizations. Um, I find them very inclusive. It's not that, you know, they don't want to shut down talk of, you know, punishment based trainers. They're looking for good trainers who know what they're doing and trying to work through it. But most of all, they are Lima. Mm-hmm. Uh, appropriate so i mean you gotta hit every thing about susan friedman's um little pathway her little road you know and all the stop signs and the speed bumps and everything else you gotta follow that pretty pretty darn harshly to um and make sure before you move and if you're a member of iabc they do ask if you decide to use punishment you need to run it by us like let us help you let us help you find another solution um let us let us support you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the foundation in particular because I just love education, but that's totally separate. <laughs> well, and the other organizations I think worth mentioning are the KPA, Karen Pryor Academy. Yep. 
Um, they are, in my experience with them, they are um, a lot more proud of shaping, not luring the, the, the funness of dog training, essentially, is mm -hmm. kind of where I hear more of their classes and their trainers put energy towards like getting things perfect. Um, I did the clicker training professional course and it's probably was my first time having to shape a mm -hmm. animal that wasn't a dog. <laughs> I shaped it <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. But um I think that they're also another great organization in the positive reinforcement realm. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um and I think that they, um, you know, they, they pretty much follow what we believe the positive reinforcement and clicker training, of course, but, um, positive reinforcement and making sure that, um, that the animal has choice and agency. And that's kind of, that's my thing. Let, let's give the animal choice and agency because if, well, I work with fearful dogs a lot. So when I do, and I give them that choice, it makes life a whole lot simpler for them. It's a building confidence, absolutely. And that's yeah. really, when we're talking about social learning for us, we're not saying find the the right path, like that is the right choice because that just doesn't exist. Find the right path for you. Absolutely. What makes yeah. you feel comfortable? What makes, what's inviting for you? And if it, you start getting a bad taste, hey, everyone's allowed to change their mind. And there's, and and really, I think that we're all trying to benefit the welfare of animals. Yeah, I do. I do believe that. And the thing is, it doesn't actually have to be about an organization. It can mm -hmm. just be about a person you're learning from or a workshop mm -hmm. or a, a a thing, you know, like everybody probably knows at this point that I'm a Susan Friedman freak. Um, so I will follow her to the ends of the earth. But, you know, there are other people that I take things from that I really believe what they're saying. Um, but maybe I take what they're saying and I turn it into more of something I can use every day. Mm -hmm. um, there's a fantastic, fantastic um, certified horse behavior consultant, yeah. uh, Gabriel Lenzioni, mm -hmm. who is, he's just amazing. He's amazing and he's young and he's, you know, he's, he's trying to spread the word and he's actually trying to spread the word for dog training through vets as well for positive reinforcement and stuff. Um, but I listen to him and I think, okay, I can take what he just did with that horse and I can put it to a dog, you know? So I encourage people to, you know, don't, don't limit yourself. There's so much good information out there. Um, I love listening to Gabrielle and, and learning from him. It's just uh, amazing. Um, have you had much experience with the pet professional guild? I have, I'm actually a member of the pet professional guild. Um, I haven't taken a whole lot of courses through them, but I did, uh, I did take a course last fall through them in Florida that I really, really enjoyed on uh, sit work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, I, our friend Jill and I went down to Florida and took their scent work course through, um, the Hewings, um, Dr. and Mrs. Hewings that are in, uh, the UK. Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. Um, I think the PPG overall, is more in the positive reinforcement realm and and only positive reinforcement. And you know what? There's something to be said for that. There's a lot to be said for that. Um, I, I I really, I like what they're thinking. I like what they teach. I like what they do. Um, I find personally that I'm more aligned with the IABC simply because I, I want to, 
I want to convert some other people. Right. I want to like open that conversation to people who don't train the way I do. And let's, let's, let's have a give and take. Let's have yeah, a asking, conversation. Why do you still pay for, and I just interrupted you and just tell me to stop if you want me to. But That's why, <laughs> why do you still pay to be a member of the PPG when you do believe in what the IABC thought? It, it, yeah. Um, so the thing I really support in the PPG is that they are trying to like, they do active things about banning shot callers mm. and banning training that is punishment based, like okay. harsh punishment based. And I really respect that. I really okay. do. I, I think that um, somebody's got to do it, honestly. And it may not be the most heralded, you know, thing to do, but I do believe somebody's got to start it somewhere. And I appreciate that they do that. So sure. I do support them in that. And and really, I was just, that that's why I wanted to figure out that's, yeah. Yeah, no, no. And then there's the fear-free certification. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. Are you yeah. fear-free certified as well? I am fear-free certified as well, yep. Um, I believe in that as well. And I especially believe in it because they, they tend to focus more on uh, cooperative care and mm -hmm. like veterinary settings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. I wish we could teach more people about how to make your dog comfortable going into the vet yes now let me ask you something. um uh -huh. someone who hasn't taken the fear-free course mm -hmm. do they talk about how fear-free is impossible how <laughs> fear-free is impossible you know yeah so what they're trying their goal is to make it as fear-free as possible got it got it got it so um you know so they they teach that you know if your dog just can't handle it maybe we need to make another appointment later down the road, you know, maybe we need to do some training in between now and then to let your dog be able to accept what we're doing uh, more evenly and, and less being less upset about it. That's interesting. And I really, I, I think that it's important to talk about in the sense that fear-free, force-free, it's all goals. Yeah. When we use terms like this, we are addressing that, that the world is not force-free and the world is not fear-free and that is just impossible. Yeah. But making that a goal, I think is absolutely admirable. That's cool. Well, and going back to one of the other podcasts we had about labels. Yes. You know, you put that that fear-free or force-free label on it or positive reinforcement. Like, what does that mean? It can mean something totally different to me than it does the next person. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you're force-free and you put a leash on a dog, technically... Right. If you define it that way, it's it's not force free, but Absolutely. yet it's our laws and we have to teach it. Um, so it it goes back to that other podcast we had about labels and how they can be kind of a little dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, um, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to go down a rabbit hole if it's not even like <laughs> long that you need to teach a dog to walk on a leash, like that's realistic. Yeah. But that is a complete rabbit hole that we won't go down. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> well, and I had somebody this weekend actually say that force free was wrong because they didn't give the dog choice. That the dog didn't have enough information to do the right thing. Um, I didn't really agree with it because if you're doing if you're doing your training correctly, your dog has lots of choices. Mm-hmm. And you're helping him feel better about the choice that he's making that kind of aligns with what you want. Um, and it's a progress. I mean, it's a, 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 a not a progress, a um, progression, maybe. Yes, absolutely. Process. It's not, not going to start out just the way you want it, but yet 
you help the dog feel better about making the choices that more align with what you want the dog to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of didn't really agree with that, you know, harsh kind of comment about force free, but then again, force free is a label and we yeah. all see that label differently. Well, so, not even that. I think that I'm starting to have a visceral reaction to hearing someone say that your style is wrong or your training is wrong. I mean, yeah. Brent, the five freedoms are something that we talk about, I think, in every podcast. And that is something that oh, yeah. is right for us. And I say that very, I, I get it. I, I just said that I don't like hearing right and wrong, but that's my my ethics right there. But when you're right, talking right. about a technique that that does not harm a dog, that we're trying just to help the dog feel more comfortable, confident, even if it's not how you would do it, it's not wrong. And yeah. That I feel like is something we need to spread more in the dog world. But sometimes I think we're all saying the same thing. We're just saying it with different words. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, you know, whether you call it this or that or the other thing, sometimes I feel like, like you said earlier, we're all trying to help the dog. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, you know, because we are so different, our backgrounds are so different. Um, you know, our environmental learning is so different since we've been born. We're coming at it from different angles, but mm-hmm. for the most part, I think we yeah, get there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm going to agree with punishment, but yet in their, in a punishment trainer's mind, they're doing the right thing. Right. Well, you know I mean, I mean? That, like, you have to even sit, watch that Camille, because we do some form of punishment in the sense of if. And maybe not even punishment, but like if my dog is trying to hump the bed into the TV, I'm going to stand in between him and the TV. Am I stopping a behavior? I am. Because me standing yeah, there. Ant. Yeah. So sure. in a way, I am punishing a behavior. So even mm-hmm. those titles and labels, like it gets everything so has easy to pick Everything up. has definitions. Yeah. yeah. Everything has definitions. Everything has light little nuances exactly it's very and hard to back yeah. to why we're having this co- this podcast about different organizations because mm-hmm. everyone approaches it differently and if you're the more of the sciencey brain then i think you might enjoy the certification council for professional dog trainers more as well and, the, and right. we are both ccpdt or i'm ka are you ka as well yeah okay. and cbcc oh you're a behavior consultant through them as well yes that's right uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah and i do i mean I, the IABC, absolutely. Science-based foundation, absolutely. But I get yeah. more of a science vibe from the conversations I have with CCPDT. Oh, really? Interesting. It's the vibe that I get. Now, I spend more time with the foundation. Okay. And, and okay. it's more of a personal thing for me that feels comfortable that way. But like, this is also the reason why we're mentioning these, these organizations are, are so that you all can pick the one that fits you best yeah yeah or multiple like I'm a part of all of them and I appreciate even APDT I I appreciate the differences they all bring into training and Mm -hmm. I don't want to negate any of them I want to be a part of them and hear what they have to say and and be a supporting member of them and we'll, we'll mention it, the Association of Professional Dog Training the reason why are you a member I am 
Oh, yeah. cool. look at you. The reason why <laughs> I personally haven't is when I first started that they're the organization or one of the organizations that supports both positive reinforcement and balance training as well. Mm-hmm. So I do know a lot of positive reinforcement trainers that avoid, it's a curse word to talk about the, uh-huh. and that's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying just to bring it to the table. Well, so, you know, what actually kind of kept me there, and I agree with what you're saying, but um, what kept me there is our friend Angie, our mutual friend, who works for uh, volunteers for APDT, and they're trying to move into the uh, Lima model, Mm -hmm. where they're not shutting down punishment, but they're saying, hey, we got to follow the five freedoms, the the Lima we have a, a a route that we need to try first mm-hmm. and do again. That's not saying that I'm, I, I do not support shot collar and, and things like that. Um, if I, in fact, at that point, I think it's a quality of life issue that you, you really, really have to consider if you think that if you've got to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, but APD has joined the conversation about, um, trainers certifications and making sure that trainers have um the appropriate amount of information in order to help dogs yeah i feel like that has not come to the balance side the certain yeah no things like that i haven't seen a lot of that yeah i'm not educated that well on that either no i admit i'm not either And, and probably there's someone out there that's thinking you know oh well balance training does this or that that may be and I do believe that there are really good balance trainers and there are really good positive reinforcement trainers and mm-hmm. they're probably doing their jobs great. Mm-hmm. The problem is there are so many people that do the job wrong mm-hmm. that positive reinforcement doesn't hurt. Like you can fix if a positive reinforcement trainer doesn't really know what they're doing and, and may make a, a slight mistake or something, you can fix it. It's, it's hard to fix a, a punishment, right? It's hard to fix a punishment-based trainer's mistake. No, I actually say just devil's advocate as someone who had positive reinforcement her entire life until like probably 30, there's a lot of therapy I need on how to hear no, <laughs> how to accept, <laughs> how to build resilience and all of that. So there is some talk about which way, like that there's not just one way that fits everyone. Um, right. And you, I agree with you in the sense that I'm not using um, any aversive tools to teach a dog something like walking on a leash or anything like that. And and we can talk about the reasons why, but I think that everyone is arguing so much in the dog training world right now that we don't need to even bring that to this podcast. You know, and I think that's where the um, the the outliers are. So you got the really good punishment-based trainers. I hate to say that. And you got the really good positive reinforcement trainers and it's all the outliers that are arguing about stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the people that have been doing this for as long as we have, we just don't have time to have these arguments. Exactly. We're busy doing it right. Quadrant that you're using, have fun. I am going to go send a recap to a client now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, you do you. I'm going to go take care of this client. I I totally get that. And and I just said, like, I am right. And I don't mean to say it that way. I I have to come back and say, I don't mean to say it that way. I I believe what I believe. You know, and I believe 
for example, positive reinforcement can make a difference. It can mm -hmm. make a good dog. Um, but then again, I don't believe in asking my dog to do a military heel. I just don't. I could teach a military heel if I felt like it, but I just don't, you know, and let her sniff. So with that said, do we need to mention any other organizations that we haven't mentioned? We mentioned PPG, KPA, IABC, APDT we even mentioned. Um, yes. This isn't an organization, but it's a school that I have found extremely helpful, and that's the FDSA. Yes, good yeah. education. Benji Dog Sports Academy. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of really beneficial classes, especially, especially about dog movements and things like that. So as far as social learning goes, I do enjoy the information they offer. Um, mm -hmm. I always find myself going back to the foundation, though, just because of I think I have a positive learning history with the people in the family. Yeah. So that that affects my learning. Well, and you have a behavior skew too. So, and that's, that is true. for the most part, that's where the foundation does their education. FDSA, for example, Benzie Dog Sports Academy does, they do some behavior, but they really primarily are agility. Well, sports. And, and that's important to you. So like, I don't, I don't really use Fenzie a lot. Mm -hmm but I don't discount them at all. It's just not, I just don't do agility. I don't do dog sports. Right. But I'm so glad Finzi is there to do that type of education. Um, Deb Jones, for example, does the cooperative care there. Mm -hmm. I could totally be on board with that. Right. Yeah. Deb Jones. Um, <laughs> Deb Jones is awesome. Um, even their um, scent work, they have some good scent work classes yeah. as well, which are right. And, and they're structured so that even clients could take them, not just, trainers, which I think is important. Um, if we can get clients on board with that. <laughs> so and I think that's a good summation of organizations that we want to even mention and why we follow who we follow, what affects our choices when we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kim Brophy's. Oh, well, yeah, totally worth mentioning. FDM yeah. is your mm -hmm. family dog mediator. Um, the thing I like about FDM compared to the other ones is it. I think that that was the first organization that really put an emphasis on recognizing there's difference in genetics. Yeah, I think she organized it. It's information we knew, but yet she organized it in such a nice way mm -hmm. that it made sense. Mm -hmm. Like it says, slow down, you know, don't think about just the training part, but think about this. Think about the um, the L E G S. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the L? I'm sorry. L is learning well, history. Thank you. Learning history, um, environment, genetics, and cell. Right. And I think it's important to think of that. And, and sure, we should have been thinking of that all along. But it's really nice the way she put it forward and makes it. Hey, you really need to think about this, and this is how you can you know think of these ideas for each you know section really like what uh, what i loved about what she brought to the table with fdm is the other organizations it feels like you start at this level and you train sit down come stay and blah 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 and then you learn behavior and like you gradually work your way into understanding behavior whereas if you start as an fdm your foundation learning is including mm -hmm the reason why these dogs are doing these behaviors at a genetic level. And I think that is something 
we're missing out on if we completely ignore the genetic factor because every dog is a, a study of one. And yes, every dog is a study of one, but to sure. completely throw out the idea that a herding breed isn't going to herd, like there's trends and tendencies that we typically see that should not be just thrown out. Well, and I think legs kind of helps us um, look at the whole dog mm-hmm. before you start thinking about a training plan, for example. Absolutely. I, I think I told you a while ago, I had this one client and I had been working with a sweet client, dedicated client, wonderful family. Um, they had a giant herding breed and um, I... I had, I had explained the dog to them. I had explained the breed. I explained everything. But lo and behold, when I literally copied a page out of Kim's book and gave it to them, I said, here, this is what your dog's doing. This is why. They read it and they're like, oh, so we should have listened to you the whole time because what you're saying is exactly what's in this book. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's almost like you're researching your craft. <laughs> I was like, so, you know, but it made sense for them. I had already taught them that multiple times and tried to get them to understand it. But when I put it in front of them in writing from Kim Brophy's book, Mm -hmm. it just made sense for them. And hey, I'm good with that. If it helped them understand their dog and understand what had to happen to help their dog and to help them Mm -hmm. be more successful. Hey, that's great. That's a great example of why we all should try to learn from different organizations and different Different people. people. Yeah. Because when you hear something in a different way, you might actually hear it differently. And it's the same exact information. Potentially there's a lot of the same information going around right now in the dog world, just in a different light, but it doesn't hurt to hear. Um, You know, one that I think kind of spans the test of time is um, Leslie McDevitt's uh, yes. um, Control Unleashed. Thank you. Like her, yeah, her, I I, I would love to be a CCUI. I'm in the if I had the, and you're the one that brought it up. I'm like trying to get the <laughs> I just, I do believe in what she's doing yes. and, and everything she does fits into all these other programs, all these other things that people are using for an acronyms and, yep. and new quote unquote um, ways of training. She, her pattern games, let's face it. They give predictability. They give, they help the dog understand what's going to happen next, even in a scary situation. Mm-hmm. And they help you, ha- they help you figure out, oh, that dog is doing it, but it's still scary. So we need to fix it. So the dog's not scared anymore. I will say that Leslie McDevitt, the way she taught it is the first person that was able to help my brain understand that emotions come along for the ride in classical conditioning. Yes. Um, yes. I know that all the organizations we just mentioned have trainers that teach that concept, but it wasn't until I could see it in pattern games that I fully understood what she was trying to communicate. And I am so appreciative of that. Yeah. She makes it click, right? So she, she makes it so easy for us to, to say, Oh, Okay. I can use it here. I can use it here. I can, you know, like for all these clients yes, and all these situations, I was using one, two, three today to help a dog who's just <laughs> way exactly. over aroused. Well, and the and hard- lo and behold, she did it, you know? Yeah. And it's so great to see. And it's so easy, but like the hard part being a newbie in the dog training world or just being a 
person trying to find a trainer. We just mentioned what five or six acronyms that all have value behind them. Yes. So it's yes. not you pick it, one acronym. There's just so much more that goes. <clears throat> but I think yeah, absolutely. It's a really good way to sum up. Thank you for, I, I, I'm glad you got Leslie McDevitt's CCUI in there. Um, I love her. She's amazing. I, she really is. And like, just <laughs> yeah, talk about inclusive. Anytime. Yeah. You know, yeah. Talk about, yes. Never putting down anyone. Um, Spot on. And just because her stuff is so simple, you can see everyone else use it and put a different acronym to it. So it's tough. <laughs> it, or, or people say, here's my acronym and Leslie McDevitt's things fit right into my acronym. And I'm like, mm, Leslie did it first. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Leslie pulled all the stuff into the stuff we've been doing for 20 years, you yeah. know, like. Well, the different revision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, right. yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely. I do. Uh, shall we move on to social learning and dogs? Yeah, absolutely. We use it, what we do with it, because I do find, and because hounds aren't the most food motivated dogs, when I have a house with more than one hound, I ask which one is more operant. And I really do take the opportunity to build the behavior we're looking for with the one that's more operant. And then every single time the second one starts following suit. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I praise honey for doing the right thing. And Lexi follows along because like, oh, look, honey, got attention. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it can be as simple as that or, or, or you're teaching something. I remember, oh gosh, I remember teaching Lexi when she was a puppy to wait for her food, just mm -hmm. calmly. I'm going to give it to her and I'm not real picky about how she does it, but I do need her to not like mug me while I'm trying to fix the bowl. And honey, honey had been trained already. Like she knew if I just wait, my mom's going to put it out for me and I'm golden. <laughs> the look on honey's face when she watched Lexi trying to learn that. Cause Lexi's a puppy and she's bouncing around and she's so excited. She's like, mom, mom, it's a food. Is it food? And I'm like, yeah, baby, it is. But I need you to hold on a second. And honey's looking at her like, if you would just sit down, she would feed us. I mean, like, it was so like, you could totally read her mind. And I swear that's not anthropomorphism, anthropomorphism. Um, she's like, dude, just sit down. You know? Um, it's just, it's amazing how that social learning can work. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. I have to give one more example. Bring it on. Social learning. If you've got a good mama dog. Yes. Holy cow. You've yes. got like a gift. And, and I think there are certain, you know, we follow certain trainers um, who have these fabulous dogs who are teachers. I'm not going to say that's my dog. <laughs> she, but one time my mama dog got really frustrated with her puppy. Mm-hmm. And she turned around and just caught the puppy's whole muzzle yeah. in her mouth. Yeah. She didn't bite down. Right. And, and I, 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 for the podcast, I don't know if you guys can see this, but she took her entire mouth and enclosed the puppy's mouth, muzzle in her muzzle. Yeah. But didn't bite down. Yep. Can I tell you, my puppy froze like, mm -hmm. Oh, I think I did something wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, maybe I'll just go over here and lay down. <laughs> and and it it was teaching, which is beautiful social mm -hmm. learning, 
without harming. Like she, it was just a proper, um, uh, what's the word? Proper, um, what's that? It's almost a correction, right? Yeah, it was a proper correction. And, and I trusted Honey at the time, just to be clear. Uh, I knew Honey could do it. Like I knew she had proper corrections in her. That being said, that was the only time, single time in 14 years, no, in 10 years that she has done a, a proper correction. <laughs> Otherwise, she just lets Lexi do whatever the heck she wants to do, which is really so bad. Because like, I, I agree with you that that, and working in multiple daycares, having a dog be able to tell another dog to knock it off appropriately. Oh my yes. gosh, it makes life so much easier. But wow. then we have the conversation of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, right? So what would you have sure. said if, what would have made what Lexi was doing or what Honey was doing inappropriate? What what, what behavior in that situation of Honey grabbing Lexi and being like, knock it off, mm -hmm. what would right. have made that inappropriate for you? So if Honey had bit down and it hurt Lexi, again. yeah. Oh, well, even just made her yell. Okay. Lexi didn't yell. She just froze. Like, oh, I think I did something wrong. But that's like she literally mean. froze. And I, I don't and mean that, that's a skill. Yeah, but think about all the puppies that cry when when they're being you know what I mean? I, so yeah. you say that if another dog is correcting another dog and the puppy cries out, that's too much. I don't know if that's even a good gauge as far as what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, right? Well, I do look for damage. Yeah. Like I'm going to look to see, did she use enough um, bite pressure to really mm -hmm. hurt the dog mm -hmm. or was the dog just yelping because it was scared? You know, in my case, it was easy to see because Lexi didn't even yelp. Like she just like froze like, Oh, I think I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful learning. And the behavior stopped on both parties. I think that is point to show out that if, either Lexi kept doing the obnoxious behavior or if honey kept needing or wanting to correct Lexi that for me would have crossed the line to inappropriate well and let's face it if she had to do another correction it probably wouldn't have been as gentle as it was right so if, if Lexi kept doing the behavior honey would have escalated like Absolutely. okay I said don't do this and she and would have not gotten these job more. to have to feel that feel it's not honey's responsibility right. to feel that frustration to escalate her behavior and that's why i think this conversation is really important as far as the dog owner when to step in mm -hmm. and and to think of it another concept um like there are a lot of dogs is it pat miller no not mm, it might be pat miller it had a wonderful, wonderful dog mm -hmm. that helped other dogs calm just by the presence. Like her dog would, it was a, um, I'm Trish McMillan. Her pity. I'm Theodore is. Oh, Theodore. Oh yeah. You're right. I yeah. Theodore is awesome. <laughs> so it's like those dogs that show them that you can lay down and be calm. Yes. And it's not a big deal. Well, let me even, so my example would be in class this morning. I have an adolescent shepherd. She has two litter mates in the class as well. So it's really fun watching from a trainer perspective. Oh, wow. This particular shepherd, she's really struggling walking around the neighborhood. She's fearful of loud sounds. Trucks are her Achilles heel. She will not walk out of the backyard. 
And so mom made some progress using a little Frenchie to, to help her walk in the backyard. But there was an incident where she saw a truck and now we're back to square one. Uh, With that said, our class this morning is the most hectic location of classes on out of the town, which is we go to six different spots in town to okay. really just be a dog in the world. Um, mm -hmm. Today was shops, meaning we're walking shop fronts. It was on the sidewalk next to a busy road. It was on a greenway next to a busy road. So it was loud. And we weren't able to have that calm decompression walk that we typically include in our, our out on the town classes. She's the mom told me, she's like, I don't understand how this dog, how my dog is doing so well because it's loud. I'm even nervous. Like, and she's just acting like this is nothing. She's eating treats for me. Like it's nothing. And I said, this is our fifth class. Every right. last four times your dog has been around this group of dogs. Everything has been fine. She's worked. She's had fun. So that's where social learning is benefiting her. And she's like, well, why isn't this working at home? And I said, you don't have the reinforcement, the, the learning history, essentially, mm -hmm. of, of safety and security with these dogs in this context. And I do suspect that the punishment history outweighs the reinforcement history in her neighborhood. Oh, I hate to hear that. That it, the, the punishment of, history is larger. Not punishment history from the owners. Punishment history from the Right, owners. right. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Sure. You know, and the crazy thing is... A truck passed today and it wasn't, it wasn't aversive at all to her. But if a truck passed her in her own neighborhood, she'd break in half. And Isn't I, that interesting? Social learning. That's for mm -hmm. me, the power of it. Now, granted, this could not, this could be in addition to social learning, we're talking about different contexts, different associations, but I really do. I told her, I said, I think that your dog is doing as well as she's doing because look around, all the other dogs are doing the same thing. Right. Right. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. See, and when you can get a second dog mm -hmm. that behaves that calmly in a mm -hmm. home with a dog, that's kind of off the charts, it does help. It, it does can. help them be calm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and even I watched it. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I watched, speaking of Theodore, I watched a video of Theodore this weekend um with uh for those who don't know theodore belongs to trish mcmillan and they live on pibble hill which is fabulous and you guys should totally follow them um so theodore was sitting on a bed out this is outdoors like so pibble hill has they have horses goats chickens dogs there's something else because i think there's five but anyway so the dogs are running around there's a um she has a beautiful um doberman named iris and so iris is kind of young she's got lots of energy and so she's running by um at theodore just like crazy and theodore is standing on his his bed but he never moves like he just stands there like oh, okay and she just went by but he doesn't feel the need to chase mm -hmm. and like um trish's other small dogs chasing and chasing and chasing and theodore is just mr calm cool and collected you know just standing there going oh, what are you people doing you know, like, like, that's not the way we behave. <laughs> it, was the, it was the cutest thing. It was Pibbles. so, yeah, Pibbles, I, uh, Theodore is just so amazing. <laughs> so if you don't follow Theodore and uh, Pibble Hill, you should probably watch it because there's a lot of great, um, great things going on there with Trish McMillan. You're mentioning something that's really important when it comes down to social learning, which is also the other parts of legs. You know, if I have a senior dog 
that I want my puppy to learn from, I'm going to have much more success having that puppy learn from the senior dog after the puppy's needs have been met. After the puppy has had physical stimulation and is exhausted because if I'm trying to have my senior dog show my puppy that when we're watching TV, we do nothing but relax, then I need my puppy to be in a state of being where relaxation becomes easier. Right. Where it's accessible. So if you haven't met all those other needs, that relaxation, it might happen, but it can't easily happen let's say that (laughs) right we're we're talking about setting them up for success Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and it is it's it's a hard thing because i think that 50 percent of calls are fix my dog i want an (laughs) button. i want to can i just get another dog and that will teach this dog and i wish that Mm -hmm. that could be the case and there are those few cases that a client has gotten another dog. And even if I didn't think it would work, it, it did. And I had to eat my words. Don't know how and when. I think I have more cases where it was more work for the owner. But I do have a few cases where they they play the lottery and won. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think several trainers have, um, you know, eaten their words, basically. Uh, one of my friends this weekend was telling me, she's like, oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. They got the dog. It totally worked. And she's like, okay, I, I eat my words. Like you found the perfect dog that's going to work. And that's, that's what you needed, which is lovely. We all want that for our dogs, you know, for our clients rather. Oh, what an know? easy button. Absolutely. <laughs> um, as far as the do as I do method because that is it was discovered tell us a little bit about that do as I do so people kind of have a clue the history as far as it was discovered by the ethiologist the ethologist who ethologist and dog trainer Claudio Fugaza um the cool thing with this and and I've seen a few different presentations where trainers are are using it in a really cool way where they have a cue that says, do as I do, essentially. And the dog watches what the owners do, and then they replicate it. So the the most interesting example I saw was the owner had agility equipment out. And the owner crawled through a tunnel, went a 360 around a weave, or not even a weave, just a jump pole, and then stood on a platform before coming back to a station. And then she said, do as I do. And the dog went and did the same exact thing she did which I just found so fascinating and exciting that it's a concept people are using. Oh, I think it's excellent. I had a trainer friend here who had a dog where she would like turn around Mm -hmm. and her dog would turn around, you know, like she, she started playing with the do as I do kind of concept, which I mean, if you think about it, dogs learn by, by body language. Mm -hmm. So that's great information to a dog you know, what kind of, um, uh, practice you need to get to that behavior? Right. I, I, I don't know. Like, how do you get to that dog that goes through the tunnel after I go through the tunnel? And I would suspect you teach each one separately. Just right. Like, right. Yeah. And then so, build a chain. Yeah, it, exactly. I, I, I think the, the problem is there's no method that says do it exactly like this and this will work for you because right. each of our dogs are unique individuals. So 
once I realized that's the case, dog training became a lot easier for me in the sense right. of I wanted the magic answer. I was looking in every single Ooh. trainer out there. Give me the magic answer. I want to follow your stuff and have this manual. And it just doesn't exist. Granted, I no, can no. myself feeling comfortable following only Leslie McDevitt, but I also want to follow others because of the conversations we had today and reasons for that. But it could be easier following that one trainer and just do it as they do it. It's easier, <laughs> but does that really make you a good, uh, you know, well-rounded, well-rounded. trainer? Right. Right. And I, I agree with you 100%. I yeah. don't that easy isn't always the right way, unfortunately. Right. Well, and it, this goes back to one of our earlier podcasts where I told you about, I was in a, I was sitting in a, um, uh, like a one hour webinar mm-hmm. and somebody from our city who I had mentored texted me and said, wait, why are you in this, in this, uh, webinar? She's like, no, you're, you're like, I guess she saw me as having a completely, um, fulfilled or whatever it is company and I didn't need any help and you know everything you know but there's nothing yeah I know everything (laughs) but I told her I was like but what if I learned something like what if what if this webinar teaches me that one little thing and it was free webinar for that matter and I was like I'm gonna learn something if I can I'm here I might as well sit and listen to it um and of course the people that gave it were fabulous um but anyway I guess that's that's my point we always learn and we're always looking for that, even if it's just a little tidbit of information that mm-hmm. somebody can give you that you thought, you know, I can take that and run with it because that makes sense to me. That, that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. I think well, that's wonderful. Is, I think that absolutely. I think social learning is just something that to, while you may not use it in your training techniques with dogs, like two dogs at one time. If you completely throw the baby out with bathwater in that way, you're going to be missing a piece of the puzzle. So sure. if, yeah. And I think that I'm glad that we hit on it in this podcast, just because it's a part that if you're doing all the right quote unquote work with your dog to have beautiful loose leash walking, but then you walk with your neighbor and they're pulling and barking all the distractions and your dog just starts falling into suit recognize social learning might be counting against you in that way right but i mean also you know isn't that part of of socialization Mm -hmm. that puppies can learn from each other and dogs can learn from each other and you know what bite inhibition is and you know how to read body language and stuff like that we've all worked with as behavior consultants worked with dogs that don't understand body language because they never had that opportunity to to learn it, reinforce it and keep going with it, you know, mm-hmm. so some have a deficit. Well, and I also, um, yeah, I think your, your point as well, in the sense of as the brain and body develops, they're looking for different social information from their colleagues. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Absolutely. And, and their bodies change over time, just like ours do. Mm-hmm. Right. So a teenager is looking for different information than a, a preschooler is. <laughs> yeah. Or a senior citizen, exactly. Yes. You know, we're all looking, we we change throughout time over our whole life. It, it, nothing stays the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think social learning is, is wonderful. And if you think about it, it starts from the moment they're born. They learn from their mothers and their siblings, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a dog or a 
chimpanzee or a horse. Well, even us. I remember as a kid, I wanted to do everything that my brother did until I think I hit high school. Then I very quickly learned I wanted to do everything the opposite way that my brother did. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And our dogs go through the same cycles as they develop, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're important cycles, especially for dogs, because let's face it, we can't do the body language dogs can do to teach teach other dogs. This is um, we have limitations. A convoluted topic though, right? In the sense that there are some dogs that when you're taking a deep breath or yawning, they absolutely follow suit. Mm-hmm. Right. But are you training them anything in that situation? No, in order for this technique to work with another dog. They have to trust you. You have to have that level of relationship going. So when I first started, I remember there was a trainer that we were got into an argument about, but why doesn't the oh, like why 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 aren't we doing that? Because that's what puppies do. And I think that in some situations, if you use that oh, that hurt, that can teach a puppy that same thing. But I find that owners overuse it. Yeah. That it's out, 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 out. And so they're habituating. So the dogs quickly learn that when the humans use owl, it doesn't mean the same as when puppies use owl. And once again, right. this is me saying my perspective and something completely different than what's actually happening could be happening. And that's behavior. But I do think that the more we try to act like dogs, they habituate to it and the conversation goes out the window. Yes. Yes, they do. The other thing I think about that too is, sorry about that little, the Yelp. Yeah. I think it, it in, uh, can hit an intrinsic mode in a dog mm, and, has- and prey can kick in. Uh, I had that with two smaller dogs that lived together and one dog would jump on the other, the other would yelp and it, and it was game mm-hmm. on. Like it, it was, so I'm careful using that. You might try it once the Yelp part when people when people say oh you know so when they bite so they'll stop yeah. biting i think for I'm, me, I'm cautious with it well i tell my clients i'm like if you yell out because it hurt then yell out because it hurt don't yell out because you think you're teaching your dog anything yes 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 i yeah, think it's i got that from tone Rosemary. right <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different tone when you're hurt and when you're teaching yeah yeah, I agree. And even then, I, oh my gosh, that's a conversation in itself. I think this was a really good summation. Yeah. One yeah, thing terrific. about that I just want to bring back to the table, because I think we've talked about it in pre- previous podcasts, but Sarah Owings' emotional cup. Oh, uh, I love the emotional cup. It, yeah. It makes it just like how legs makes everything organized in that aspect. Her emotional cup helped me organize more, just be more mindful. I think is, is the term I'm looking for. So talking about who I want to follow and who I want to listen to. When I listen to Leslie McDevitt, my cup fills, I leave those webinar seminars with more energy. Granted, I might be mentally exhausted because some of it is really heady stuff that I I want to digest more, but I have energy to go do things. Nice. When I listen to, and I do, I try to listen to some balanced trainers to expand my education or just hear where others are coming from. I'm exhausted after the fact. 
I might right. have been yelling a lot <laughs> while I was listening to it. Like you're listening and your emotions are broiling, boiling under there. And... and it's not all balanced trainers that I listen to that I feel this way, but there are certain trainers that I listen to that I'm like, this did not make me feel good afterwards. So yeah. when I don't have the energy to do it, I'm not going to listen to them. And if there are balanced trainers that do fill my cup, J-Jack is one of them. I don't mind listening to J-Jack. He has some really good information and Chad Mackin too. I don't agree with everything they say, but they have the canine paradigm, I think is their podcast. And I do enjoy some of their conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, There are times where they fill my cup. There are times when they empty my cup and I think just that mindfulness for each person is helpful. Mm -hmm. And I also think that that goes with social learning with our dogs. Cause there's times that our dogs are playing with other friends and they're getting ramped up and they're learning and, and you can almost see an exhaustion happening. (laughs) And I want you to be, cognizant when you are having your dogs in play groups of are the play groups filling their emotional cup or emptying their emotional cup as well because it goes both ways absolutely absolutely the the whole idea of the emotional cup is a great thing to think about and i don't think we slow down enough to to really think about the dog's emotional cup mm-hmm. i guess you know people like Brene brown i wonder if people like that make us think about our emotional yes. cup yes but I don't think we think about the dog or or whatever animal it is, what their emotional cup might be. Well, and it's also worth mentioning, I don't know why I do 50% of the things I do. So we are all absolutely making guesses of not only our own behaviors, but our dog's behaviors as well. Proof is sure. in the pudding. You've got to know if your dog's happy or not. But also, as you're trying to gauge your dog's emotional cup, maybe try to also gauge if you're creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Yes. Good point. Very good point. It's complicated. Everything's complicated. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) Wait, everyone can't do it? Really? (laughs) Everyone can do it, but we have to consider different things. Um, I think this was a good summary. Is there anything else? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Just uh, thank everybody for listening and being here uh, for another episode of uh, Cookie Crumbles. Uh, again, where we kind of dissect all the tiny little crumble pieces, uh, crumbs that come apart from what ends up being behavior, basically. Uh, that's our behavior cookie. It is. It's interesting because we were talking about the different organizations. I think cookie crumbles is another way to say legs, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and just, we're not saying we're right and they're wrong. We're saying we're all bring, have something to bring to the table. So please well, yeah. be kind as you learn from others and listen to others that instead of saying, I have more to bring to the table, think about what they have to bring to the table as well. Exactly. Because everybody has something that they can tr- contribute. Exactly. And Camille, that's the way. The cookie, cookie crumbles. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we'll Thanks see for you joining soon. us, you guys. See um, you soon. Our next podcast it will most likely be about resource guarding. We are going to take oh. a short uh, break over the next week or two, potentially longer. We're giving this a go to see how that we're giving our podcast a soft release. If you like what you hear, please let us know. Um, and we'll have all of that organized and I'll add it later. We'll add that to the thing. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you very much. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, please let us know. 
if you like what we hear or you have a topic that you want to uh you want us to talk about we'd love to talk about it with you don't have a problem talking (laughs) (laughs) absolutely right (laughs) have a great week everyone and be kind to you and your dogs yeah good night